Well, as we continue through our sermon series on healthy Christ followers, I am excited to move into one of the, uh, yeah, just, just our next one, um, which is going to be on finances. Um, I'm not going to say a heck of a lot this morning because I know that our guest speakers, um, Rick and, uh, and Andrea, are going to come and tag team, and, uh, and so they're going to be coming in just a moment. But I want to, I want to consider just one passage as, I move, as, as we move into this, and it's uh, Matthew 6.18. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, for where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And as I, as I read that, you know, there's, there's definitely this caution that Jesus is saying, don't, don't just put your, your treasure um, into things that are going to pass away. And, uh, and, and, you know, we think about that a lot and we think, oh, what does that mean? And how do I, how do I apply that? And one of the, one of the realities is, is Jesus makes this parallel distinction and he says, he says, where you put your treasure, what you invest in is going to determine where your heart leans. And, uh, and that is, there's a definite correlation that's happening. What we're doing here with this sermon series is we're going through different elements of, of life, not just, you know, Christian life or not just, um, not just spiritual life, but recognizing that God develops us and wants us to be healthy in every front. We've talked about mental health and how that's extremely important for us to take steps when things aren't coming, when things aren't coming together for us, when, when things are, are, are becoming challenging for us, um, to take steps to get to mental health. We've talked about physical health and, uh, and we were doing exercises here last week because God has called us to, to be physically healthy as well. And, uh, and today we're talking about financial health. So I've invited um, two friends of mine who are highly qualified to speak today, um, Richard and Andrea Jacka. Richard is a, uh, you can see on your, uh, on your sermon messages, um, Richard is a financial advisor. And, uh, and he has studied significantly in the world of finance, and he has an amazing way of, of teaching. And Andrea, um, who Richard is lucky enough to be married to, um, <laughs> she, is a, uh, she is a real estate agent, but has also done her, uh, her master's, I forget what it's called, you're going to have to refer... Yeah, financial coaching, master of financial coaching, and uh, and so she is definitely interested in this whole world. And these two are so passionate about seeing people come onto a healthy financial place. And so I'm just going to pray for a moment, pray for them that God would anoint them. And God, I pray today that that your word and your wisdom would be anointed. And and today we know that you care about our finances. You care about the fact that that we handle our finances well. And so today as as we learn, I pray that we will be open and receptive and that the words that come out of Richard and Andrea's mouth would be um would be your words today. In Jesus name. Amen. Thanks, Rob. How are you guys doing? Excellent. I know a few of you, but uh, just to introduce myself again, I'm, my name is Rick. This is my lovely wife, Andrea. I call her Andy, so if you hear about Andy, 
This is who I'm talking about. I love this sermon series. I think it's fantastic. Uh, we're here to talk about healthy finances. Um, you guys have talked about a bunch of different things. We're here to talk, frankly, about money. Anybody uncomfortable yet? <laughs> yes. We're into a new year. Uh, did anybody make any New Year's resolutions? Yeah, kind of. Did you make a New Year's resolution around your finances and around your money and that kind of stuff? Yes, my New Year's resolution uh, was, was to lose some weight. We're going away in February. I plan to lose about 10 pounds. That was the plan. Uh, but frankly, I like my jelly beans too much. It's not going well. So that's where we start. But just a little bit to, to introduce us so that you know who we are and where we, how we fit in and how we got to this place. Um, I've been out in the working world for almost 30 years. Uh, I've got some gray hair to prove it. I started working in corporate IT management. That's what I did. Approached the midway point of my working career and increasingly grew dissatisfied really with with the career track that I was on. I was doing well. I, I on one hand liked what I was doing, but on the other hand, it's not something that I wanted to, to ride out my entire career and do all the way to the bitter end. And so I decided to go back to school, uh, did my MBA, uh, did it at U of T. Uh, so I did it with Rotman and there's a heavy emphasis on finance uh, with, with Rotman and what I, what I uncovered through that experience was that I really liked it. And I felt increasingly drawn. Uh, there was a passion that was growing in me um, and the need to, uh, to, to move away from my corporate, my corporate job and move into something that was a little closer to, to really what I liked. And, and you can call it, uh, if I was being called, I was being called into the, into the area that I am now. And so I'm a financial advisor, made a career change. It was a little scary, a little risky, um, had a lot at stake because we have three grown children, a lot of finances and so on. There's some pressure uh, in terms of what we were doing, but went back to school and did that. And, and frankly, I love what I do. I am honored and I'm privileged every day to sit and talk with people about what they're, what's important to them financially, about their goals, where they want to go, and I help them put plans in place to do that. And so that's what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. Andrea, what do you do? Well, my background actually was in health. I worked for York Region Public Health for several years, and then moving to the West End, uh, we, we transferred our family out to the West End of Toronto to get closer to my husband's office. So at that time, I switched gears and I decided to open up a clinic. Um, so we did that preventive health clinic for a few years, um, as well, I taught at college for several years. So after being in the industry for just over 20 years, I was in dental, um, I decided it was time for a change. So I'd always been a little bit passionate about real estate. I was kind of one of those people that made it a sport on Saturdays to go to open houses. Drove the real estate agents crazy because I wasn't buying. I just wanted to look. I just wanted to see inside. So that was fun for me. Wasn't fun for them, I'm sure, as I would refuse to sign their registry when signing into an open house. And um, after that, I thought, you know what? When I sold my clinic um, and retooled, I thought, I'm going to go into this as a profession because I'm so passionate about it. But getting into it, I realized it's really not about the sale of a house. These are people's dreams. These are the, one of their biggest financial investments. And for various reasons, people will buy and sell property. So it's so much more than that. And we had been interested in following Dave Ramsey for a few years at that point. Um, really love his content, love what he has to offer us as far as, as Christians, where do we stand with our finances and what are we doing with what God has entrusted us with? So from there, I took it into, um, really trying to have a positive impact on the people that I have the privilege to work with. And I studied um, financial coaching. 
and that I'm still going through, still learning, still have lots to learn, but um, tying it in with what Rick does, we really are passionate to come alongside people and help them. It doesn't have to be intimidating. We're not there to be judgmental. We're not there to make people feel uncomfortable. It's really just sitting down with people and having a chat really over a coffee and saying, how can we, how can we help? So we've been married for just over 25 years. Um, we celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary in December. Um, yay. So, yay. That was <laughs> high five, dude. Nice. <laughs> and we still like each other. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> one of the things that's a little bit embarrassing to admit, though, is when we look back at the 25 years, uh, I think it's fair to say that likely the first 15 years, um, we wasted a lot of time, effort, and resources. And it's, it is, it's humbling and it, it is embarrassing um, because we didn't have our financial act together. We weren't on the same page. We weren't working together. Um, it took a long time for us to realize that, that we were working relatively competing interests and so on. Um, but over the past 10 years or so, Andrea and I have worked much more closely to, get, to make sure that we're aligned and that we understand really where we want to go long term. And we've come, we've, we've, I, I would say we're operating on the same team now, yeah. which, which is huge. We weren't always, let me tell you. No. So we have, we have likely a couple hours worth of material here. Um, Rob did say you guys are flexible about the end time, right? I don't think that's okay. We won't do that. Um, we're, going to, we're going to make some really fast tracks through some stuff. What we wanted to show you was some material we pulled together. None of it's original. Um, we haven't made mm -hmm. any of this stuff up. Um, Full disclosure, Dave, we're fans of Dave Ramsey. If you guys are familiar with Dave Ramsey, um, he's, he's a guy in the States. Uh, he has a talk show. Um, he helps people transform their, transform their lives uh, on a financial basis. He's fantastic. So you're going to see a lot of his material in here. There's another fellow named Joe Sangle. He's, he's written a book called uh, I Was Broke and Now I'm Not. Uh, another uh, Christian-based material, but he's a Ramsey follower, if you like, so you'll see a lot of commonality between those two. And then we've thrown a couple of other things just to keep it interesting, okay? Um, so, full disclosure. So this is what we, we plan to talk about. So what do we know? How does it affect your family? What does the Bible say about finances? And then we'll change gears. So here's where you are. Where do you begin? What are, the, what are the fundamentals? What should we be doing? And then we'll talk about the baby steps to financial success. Okay? We're going to keep it moving along. Rob, when do we get the hook? You'll Five, two? Ish? Okay. I'll look for you. Once you start to give me that look, you know, it'll be hunger pains, I'm sure. Okay, so what do we know? Let's walk through a few of these things here. So couples who fight about money have consumer debt. In terms of consumer debt, the, uh, the, the, uh, the definition of consumer debt here is it doesn't include your mortgage. So we're talking lines of credit or credit card debt. Um, the next bullet, 41% of couples who have consumer debt argue about money, and it's, it's in fact, it's what they argue about the most. So it causes a lot of, a lot of um, angst and strife in the, in the relationship. One in three of those who do argue have made a purchase without telling their spouse, and they've hidden it from them. 63% of our own marriages start off with debt, and I'm seeing a lot of young folks out here. You guys are, are getting married, or you've just gotten married, and you're starting off largely in debt. 41% of recently married couples felt pressure to spend more money on their wedding than they could afford. So going over budget on the wedding. And the last point here is that couples in healthy marriages are twice as likely to discuss their money dreams 
together. Uh, in fact, 94% of couples that are in healthy marriages talk about it regularly versus 45% that either have what they would define as an okay marriage or a marriage that's in crisis. So clearly, those who have healthy marriages, talking about finances and financial goals and dreams is, is important to them. So how does this affect your family? Do you want to take this one, Andy? Sure, I'll take this one. So fights about money are the second leading cause of divorce. So first, the only thing that beat that out was um, infidelity. So pretty serious. So the second leading cause is, is fighting is money, really. Fighting about money, not discussing money, um, not having mutual goals, not par being partnered together on how money is going to be spent. Um, 40%, 47% of respondents with consumer debt say their level of debt creates stress and anxiety. So we know that th this hugely impacts family life at home if people are stressed about money, not knowing where they're going to get their mortgage money from, uh, buying groceries, just the basic necessities of life for some families in debt becomes a huge issue. You know, buying winter boots for their kids when the, the snow starts to fly and so on. So we could come up with all kinds of examples, but it's definitely not something to be ignored. 60% um, say they worry about finances monthly, 25% worry about finances every single day. Can you imagine the emotional energy that goes toward worrying about money? And it's, it's sad because it really does impact people's everyday life and that energy could be going towards something far more positive in their lives. 43% of respondents with 50,000 or more of debt feel embarrassed about talking um, about personal finances. And that's a shame. And that's something that we've been trying to break down the barrier of the embarrassment that can go alongside of it. For what we see from the stats, there are so many people in this boat where, and they don't want to talk about it. Uh, this is a quote from the famous American philosopher, Will Smith. <laughs> Too many people spend money they haven't earned to buy things they don't want to impress people they don't like. This was, this was something that, uh, that we realized sort of at about the 15-year point because we're slow I, learners. We're slow learners, um, but I had a good job and Andrew was working um, financially. We were, we were doing fairly well, but we would look across the street. We'd look at our friends. We'd look at our neighbors, um, and we'd look at their big houses and their relatively new cars and uh, their fancy decorated homes and the vacations that they would go on. And the questions we kept asking ourselves was, how are they doing it? We don't understand. What is it that we are not doing that clearly they are? Because look how successful they are. But what we learned, they're not doing it. They're not. It's a facade, folks. So if, if you guys who are young, um, avoid that mistake and don't get caught up on that. Um, for, for those of you who are looking around and feeling the pressure, is that, that, you know, what is it that we're doing wrong? You're not doing anything wrong. And we'll get into some details here. So some economic factors. I'm going to show you some charts. I'm an analytical, and I love charts, and I love data. So I'm going to throw you, show you three graphs, and we'll draw some conclusions from it, and we'll go from there. So the first one, the cost of debt. So the cost of debt is interest rates. So interest rates in Canada, the Bank of Canada rate, since 1990, that's on the far left, you can see that it's basically come down. It's come down to um, up and down and up and down, but generally it's been a sliding trend. So this is how much, uh, how much does it cost to borrow money, down to about 2010 when it bottomed out. 
We've enjoyed a nice run of about six or seven years where the interest rate has stayed flat, relatively flat. It's come up and down a little bit, but generally it's flat. And the little curve at the end after 2015, this is over the past 18 odd months where the Bank of Canada has started to raise interest rates again. We dodged it the bullet twice. In December, Bank of Canada decided not to raise rates. And again, this January, they again decided not to raise interest rates. And it's mostly because they're afraid that it's going to slow down the economy. Because as Canadians, we used to be savers. We're no longer savers, and I'll show you that on the, on the next slide. But the cost of servicing the debt that we are carrying, they're very concerned. The Bank of Canada is very concerned about the negative impact that's going to have on our economy. So the next slide, please. So this is the rising, rising debt. So as I said, Canadians used to save. We used to be savers. The Americans were the ones that were the spenders. We were the ones that used to save. Not so anymore. If you look back in 1990, the debt to income ratio, so the way this ratio works, if you take all of your debt, which includes your mortgage, your car loan, your credit card loan, all that kind of stuff, you add it all up, your student debt, whatever it happens to be, and you stick it on the, on the numerator, so on the top, and you divide it by, by your annual income, what it's showing here is, this is uh, Stats Canada information, but down in the little bottom corner there, it shows in Toronto, it's actually two to one. It's 208%. So for every dollar that we make, this is household income, we owe over $2 here in the Toronto area. And that's a recent stat that was just put out on January 3rd. It's not an old stat. It's brand new. So we are starting to drown. Okay, last chart, please. Household savings. This is embarrassing. Household savings. We used to be savers. At the end of last year, the number was less than 1%. We're not saving. We're not saving money. We're not creating that rainy day fund. So, next slide, please. So what does this mean? Well, we have interest rates rising, so the cost of borrowing money is going up. We have our debt levels rising is we're taking on more and more and more debt. We're not saving as much. And the last point is that bankruptcies are, are rising. So consumer insolvencies, that's bankruptcies, uh, declaring bankruptcy, the year over year. So the Office of the Superintendent of Bankruptcy in Canada reported that the year over year, so from October 2018 versus October 2017, there was an almost 10% increase in bankruptcies. It's not sustain sustainable what we're doing as, as Canadians. We can't continue to behave the way we're behaving. We have to get it in order. What does the Bible say? Isn't this fun? Yeah, you got everybody <laughs> depressed? Are you guys depressed? Are you having fun The whole fun idea yet? is we need to wake up. We'll get up. better. We'll it get doesn't better. have to it be all better. heavy. <laughs> okay. So do you want to start with this one, Andrea? Sure. So what is the Bible telling us about money? Did you know that, the, that money is the second most talked about subject in the Bible? So obviously it's a very important subject to be talking about. Um, if all of those stats are applicable to our own personal lives, how does that affect our ability to give generously, to help those in need, to be able to, to get out into our community and give, right? So um, there are three verses that we have here. I need bifocals. Um, Behold to the Lord. Uh, your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Deuteronomy 10:14. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. That's in 1 Corinthians. 
He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash. Heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he set the world on them. First Samuel. So in the end of the day, when you, when you read these verses, what it clearly says is everything is God's. He created the earth and everything in it, which includes us, and includes all the resources and so on that, that we have at our disposal. There's the parable of the three servants um, in Matthew 25, where he talks about the, uh, the master uh, going away on a business trip and entrusting three of his servants with different amounts of money, uh, one with a lot, one with a medium amount, and one with a very little. And then the, the master goes away on a business trip, comes back, and I don't know how long he was gone, uh, but he comes back and then he asks for an accounting of how each of the servants performed. The one servant with a lot, he was good with the money and managed the money and produced a very good return on it. The one with a medium amount of money did, did well as, uh, very well as well. But the one who was given a little bit was afraid. And he knew that the master was, he described him as an unreasonable man and expecting a, a lot for nothing. And so what he did was basically he took the money and he put it under his mattress. He buried it. Um, and when the master realized what he had done, he was upset with him. He called him a wicked and lazy servant because he didn't even put the money in the bank. He said, the least you could have done, if you knew this about me, is the least you could have done was put the money in the bank, you would have gotten some interest, and there would have been some return on my money. So God expects us to do something with the resources and the time and everything that he's given to us. The next slide, this is, this is truth. Proverbs, actually, if you want an MBA in finance, just read through Proverbs, because it talks about money and, and so on. There's so many truths that come through in Proverbs. But the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. If you want to be free, don't carry debt. As soon as you carry debt, you're beholding to someone other than God. Okay. This is a call to be somewhat countercultural because we're conditioned. We, we live in Canada. We live in North America, affluent area of the world. Uh, and one of the measures of success seems to be how, how well are you doing? But I like what Ramsey says here. So Dave Ramsey says, live like, like no one else now so that later you can live like no one else. And what he's saying here is trade off the short term and look longer term. Don't try to compete with, uh, sorry, there, do we have any Joneses in the audience? No, awesome, okay. <laughs> Don't try to keep up with the Joneses. Don't do it. Live countercultural. Smaller home, more modest car, Live within your means, because if you do that and you focus on your long-term goals, you'll be living like people, like you want to later, okay? So where do we begin? So we're through all the depressing stuff, right? So we've established that, you know, you can't, we as Canadians can't continue to be managing our money or mismanaging our money the way we have been. So what do we do? How do we get a handle on this? So do you want to talk through this one, Andrea? Sure. So, are you and your spouse on the same team? And that's probably, for those who are married, it is so important. So, it's a great conversation starter 
to, to maybe have today after church, if you have time, just talk a little bit about, are you on the same team? Are you on the same page? Because that really affects every aspect of your financial world at home and what you're going to do with your money. I mean, naming each dollar and making sure that you are both aware of what is going on is so important. We weren't always on the same team. We didn't start out on the same team. I really, I, I think um, when we got married, there was very little discussion about finances, even in our premarital counseling, but we'll talk about that later. Um, but just making sure you're on the same team, it's huge because together you can really achieve some fantastic goals and you can really be living out what God intends for us to live out with the resources and what he's blessed us with and what he's given to us. And it doesn't matter how much or how little you have, work with it to bless the Lord and to live debt free and you are going to find so much peace in your life. Um, and just further to that, I think if you, if you think about uh, personalities, so you think about all the areas mm. that can cause strife and, and stress in, the, in your relationship, um, your personality type, how you communicate, those types of things, but also what kind of family environment did you grow up in and what did your parents teach you about money? How did your parents deal with money? Knowing that the two of you are coming together from, from perhaps the same or more likely very different uh, experiences growing up, you're going to bring those into your relationship, and unless you actually talk about those things and get them out on the table, you're n you're going to cause some fam uh, some stress in your relationship. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, what are your goals and dreams? And how many of you out there, like, do you guys mind being a little bit candid? How many people actually talk and and have these discussions with their spouse about their goals and their dreams? Do you guys chit-chat about that? I mean, it's one of That's the best fantastic. topics. Whether that dream is to go on a vacation or, you know what, when we hit our 10-year mark or our 15-year mark, we're going to do something special for ourselves. We've been married that long. Or whatever that looks like, buying a home, um, saving more, giving generously, going on a missions trip. It could be any, any number of things, but those, that is such a great place to begin is to talk about your dreams. When was the last time you sat down and did this? Um, I, I encourage all of you to go away and, and chat about that. What does retirement look like for you? And the younger you start this, the better off you are. Starting when you're young is the best thing to do. Talk about your retirement, um, being mortgage or debt free, uh, first home or income property as part of your portfolio for, um, for retirement, uh, having a cottage, home renovations, whatever that looks like. Children's education, that's kind of where we're at right now. We have three in post-secondary education. Um, so, and giving and estate planning. But where do you begin? So, so, so this, is the, this is the most fun part of my job, frankly, is that I get to sit down uh, in my office and, and I ask the question, so what are your hopes and dreams? Where do you want to go? What does that look like? And it doesn't always have to be uh, consumer things like we would like this or we'd like to save for that. It could be, you know what, we'd love to be able to give to missions or we'd love to go on a missions trip, but we know that that's going to cost us twenty dollars or $25,000 to take our family and go and do something wherever that happens to be. Well, that means that you need to have a plan in place and you need to be actively be saving towards that as one of your goals. The last one, talking about your estate plan, you guys are all relatively young, uh, but thinking about the end game. So when we all go at some point, what do you want to have happen in terms of passing things down to your kids and making sure that you've structured that well and you've thought it through. Do you plan to burn it through at all or do you want to leave something for your kids? Uh, everybody's a little bit different. But it's about getting these things on the table. If you're young, and we are not, you can tell by my hair, it's gray and it's disappearing, but one of the advantages that you've got when you're young is you have time on your side. Time is your friend. 
when you get to our stage, and I do have folks come into my office and they're in their 40s and they're starting, they're starting to think about retirement and so on, time is no longer on their side. So time is your friend, guys, when you were young. It becomes your enemy when you get older. Okay? But it's not doom and gloom just because you're our age. No. 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 There's always hope. Yeah. There's always, you know what, it's you're just, always better off by setting a plan no matter what stage in life you're at. Yes. Right? A plan is always better than no plan at all. Thank you for saying that. That's good. <laughs> I feel better now. Okay. So where do we begin? Step three. Get control by creating a budget and managing to it. So who's got a budget? Who budgets? Who budgets? Who actively manages to their budget? Do you guys know where your money is going? So if I said, you know, can you show me a report that says, how much did you spend on Tim Hortons last month? How much did you spend on gas? How much did you spend on food? How much did you spend on <laughs> restaurants or I eating Rob out? And Valerie deserve These a different buck things. For I, that. I know. They, yeah. they, they've got it all sorted. Okay. Um, this is really important. So the I minus O equals EZ is, is likely the most important formula. So I'm going to show this is math, right? I love math. I do. <laughs> okay. Um, this came from Joseph Sengel. What he did was that formula represents income minus outflow, which is spending, equals exactly zero. And the concept here is that every dollar in your budget needs to be named and needs to have a purpose and you need to know where it's going. Because if you don't, you're either overspending or you're gonna be frittering things away and it'll just disappear. So the way you construct a budget and this would be an entire workshop. We would actually go through and do a workshop on building your budget. But the concept is, whoops, now we're gone past it. But the idea here is that your income, that's where you start. How much is your take-home pay? Then you talk about your goals. And we talked about, you know, is retirement a goal? Is kids' education savings goal? Is first-time home buyer? Is that a goal? All of those things come off the top. Those are your goals. Then we have your non-discretionary spending. Those are things like your mortgage, um, putting food on your table, paying the gas bill, those types of things. All of those come off the top. The next section of your budget is your discretionary spends. These are things like eating out, fun money, going to the movies, doing that type of stuff. The stuff that where, you know what, if you didn't spend it, then you're not gonna die. And nobody's gonna come and take something away from you because you didn't pay your bill. And then at the bottom, when you do all of that, the whole concept here is that, that it, it should equal zero. It should balance out. Because when you've done that, what it means is that every dollar that you've, that you've got coming in has a purpose. It's exactly zero. If it comes out to be less than zero, what does that mean? It means you're spending you're too trouble. much money. You're in trouble. You're on the spiral of death. Okay, that's what it is. And it's eventually gonna to come to a nasty end. If it's greater than zero, it means you have unaccounted money coming into your household. And that's and not it's good just either. gonna vaporize. It'll just disappear. You won't know where it went. Okay, so you want it to be zero. If it's less than zero, not to sound like the doom and gloom, because I feel like I'm the doom and gloom guy today. You kind of are. Sorry. But if it's <laughs> if it's less than zero, you need to get a hold of that and you need to make sure that it's zero. Because I would rather have that difficult conversation with Andrea and make sure that it's zero versus the bank or somebody outside coming and dictating to me and telling me this is what it actually means. It's true. Well, the other thing is how many people have kind of, it, they feel like a budget's a little bit of a negative thing. Does anyone feel like it's a little bit negative? Okay. Feels like you're handcuffed, like you're, you're not able to do what you want to do. Try to change the way in which you think. 
because perception on this topic is everything. So your attitude toward it, the way that you regard a budget, it's so important because it's actually freeing. It gives you a lot of freedom to know exactly where your dollars are going and at the end of the month it's going to equal zero and you're not going to be beholden to something, you're not going to be going further in debt or anything. Um, it may mean that you have a surplus at the end of the month after you review this for going through it for four weeks, which means, oh my word, I have found money there that we can, we have the opportunity to give or to help someone or to tuck away for a vacation or to put toward more toward our children's education, whatever that looks like for you. But it can actually be a tool that you use. It doesn't have to be negative. It can be so positive. It's all in the way that you see it. So. I see it as it's freedom because now I know exactly because we've talked about it. It's not going to be a source of irritation in our marriage. It's not going to be a topic of argument. We know where our money is going. We have to make these decisions. We made a decision a long time ago that we don't make, you know, any kind of a bigger purchase without discussing it first. We just don't. It's just a, it's, it's a non-negotiable. We just don't do it. The other thing I would like to say is we don't um, on the spot make a decision. No matter what that purchase is, we won't make a decision on the spot. We go away and we sleep on it. And we always tell people, I appreciate your time. However, this is just, this is what, a commitment that we have to each other, that we go away and we sleep on something to make sure, and you pray about it, and you make sure it's where you want your money to be going. So naming that dollar and having a budget, it doesn't have to feel like you're handcuffing your life. It really is freedom in your life, because then you can see where, oh, I do have an opportunity to spend $40 to go to a movie tonight. How wonderful is that? because we've allotted for that and we actually haven't used it. Okay, we're almost there, guys. It's, it's, <laughs> I'm looking at it's five uh -oh. after, you guys Sorry. okay? All right, we have like another five minutes, is that okay? Okay, let's scooch through and we'll get through the baby steps. Okay, so where do we begin? The baby steps to financial success. First thing is put $1,000 in an emergency fund. That's a beginner emergency fund, that's the basic. It is not a complete emergency fund. Why do you put $1,000 in there if you still have a debt? Why would you do that? Because it gives, you some, an it gives you room. It gives you some margin. It gives you an, an opportunity for error. If something comes up, a uh, tire blows on your car, you need to repair something, you're not reaching and incurring more, more debt. debt. You're reaching into some cash. An emergency, just so you know, an emergency does not mean that you've walked into Costco and, oh my goodness, that 55-inch TV is on sale. <laughs> that is not an emergency. That's me. That's what I do. You know why they put those TVs right by the door at Costco, right? Yes, exactly, on the way Never in. Never okay, send your husband so to get So $1,000 in a beginner emergency fund. <laughs> Second thing is you pay off all the debt using the debt snowball. And it's a concept that Ramsey talks about regularly, which is simply identify all your debt, order it from smallest to largest, because there's a, a bunch of different ways you could do this, but smallest to largest. Make sure that you're making the minimum payment, uh, sorry, you're pounding down on the first item and you're making the minimum payments on anything remaining. And then when the first item's gone, you cross it off and you take everything that's going against that particular debt item and you put it to the next one and you work your way through the list. The key here is don't incur more debt. Stop adding to the debt pile. Don't do that anymore. But on the other side of it, it's so encouraging, and that's why you start with the smallest one first, is because it's an achievement, and it makes you feel good, and it gives you that energy to get going on the next one. So you so give yourself really, a little reward. Yeah, yeah. Give yourself a little reward, just a, a little one, but to, to success. Okay, uh, complete your emergency fund by saving three to six months worth of living expenses. So typical, a typical household in York Region, you're probably talking uh, the monthly burn somewhere between four and $6,000. 
right? If you don't have a mortgage and you're doing all that and you've got some kids at home and everybody's eating and so on, likely costing you between four and six grand to live each month. That means if you, if you use $5,000, that means you need somewhere between 15 and $30,000 in an emergency fund. It does not happen overnight. Clearly you have to work towards this. It takes a while, but that's what you do. Your job, are we okay? The, your job is it, um, if you work for someone else, that job can disappear. Those folks in GM with the plant closure, they work for a union, they thought everything was really good, GM up and closed. And they're closing their jobs and their jobs are gone. There's 3,000 people or two or three, something like that, out of work. You never know what's going to happen. Uh, 15, save 15% of your income towards your retirement. 15% is an arbitrary number that, that Ramsey puts. It might be wrong, it might, might be right. Uh, at the end of the day, this is about goal setting. You need to sit down and understand what do you want your lifestyle to look like in retirement? Where are you now? What do you want it to be? 15% might be enough, it might not be enough, it might be more than you need. But 15% is not a bad order of magnitude. And if you imagine you're not paying any debt because you paid off all your debts in the debt snowball in step two, that's where the money comes from. Number five, help your children by saving, uh, saving towards their post-secondary education. We, we struggle, and we do as well, with the guilt in that we would like to be in a better position to help our kids more. But it's interesting that he's placed this one, step five, after looking after your own retirement. And this is because I don't want to live in my kid's basement for my retirement. They and don't I don't think my kids either. want me living in their basement either. <laughs> when we retire, if I don't look after my own retirement, where am I gonna live? I'm moving into their garage or into their basement. They don't want that. <laughs> Number six, pay off your home. So get, get mortgage free. And seven, once you're debt free, you've paid off your mortgage, what a fantastic place to be. The flexibility and the freedom that you've experienced or that you will experience at that stage in life, continue to build your wealth and give. Okay? Yep. So in summary, um, we live in one of the wealthiest countries in the world. You guys all know that. So I think the statistic that we looked up worldwide was if you're making 40,000 or more, you are in the top 1%. Of People the world's don't, population. Of the world's population. Okay? That's huge. There's a lot of, there's, most of the world is living in, in, in real poverty. poverty. So we are so blessed to be living here in Canada and have the opportunity to even think about where our money goes because some people don't even have enough money, no matter what they do, to even feed themselves. So we have a responsibility to God. We have a responsibility to ourselves and our families to be good stewards of what he has entrusted to us. Um, we also have a responsibility to teach financial literacy to children, and we find that's hugely lacking. We have three grown kids. Our youngest is 18, and all three of them will be in post-secondary next year. The two older ones are already in, um, but they need to be taught. This isn't something that just happens. How many of you guys remember learning about, about finances in school? Universities aren't teaching it. High schools aren't teaching it. Um, as far as the society goes, they're more than happy to have people in debt because that's how the, the banks make their money. They want to keep us down. It's great for them. So I think we really have a responsibility to start with our kids. Um, and it's not um, only possible to get control of your family finances. It's necessary. It's really something that we need to do. And as good stewards and um, and believers in what God has told us in the Bible, it's very important. 
Okay, so some, some tools, some places you can go to get help. Uh, Dave Ramsey's website is fantastic. It's got a lot of resources on there. Uh, I recommend going to DaveRamsey.com. Every Dollar uh, is an application that he has. If you're not familiar with it, it's an app you can download onto your, onto your phone, onto your iPhone. Um, you can set up a budget. And then the key thing is when we talked about managing and understanding where your money's going, basically you can use your iPhone. Uh, if you go and you put some gas in the gas tank or you go to Tim's or you go to McDonald's or you spend some money at the grocery store, you can, uh, you can add it through the app and it will tell you where did your money go and are you on track? How much money do you have left in the gas, in the gas budget? So every so dollar is a fantastic tool. That being said, tool. we've gone way over time. We have. The we're problem is, is we could actually talk we could about talk this for hours. hours. We could. But we're not okay. going to. I was broken, now I'm not. Great website. <laughs> He's got a great book. On the next page, <laughs> reference materials, Total Money Makeover. Um, that's a, a great book by Dave Ramsey. Um, Everyday Millionaires is a book that just came out by Chris Hogan. He's part of the Dave Ramsey team. They did a study on a, of about 10,000 uh, millionaires in the States. And what they did was they came to the conclusion, and they, through, the, through that is, and that is, uh, you don't have to win the lottery. Mm -mm. You don't have to inherit wealth. Everyday people doing the right thing, managing their money over time, can become millionaires. That's, that's, what, they, that's what they learned. So it's an interesting book. Um, and then I Was Broke um, and Now I'm Not by Joseph Sengel is another, is another great, great book. Well, that was impressive. My voice is a lot louder than Rex. Um, that was very, very impressive because what uh, what we saw here, and guys, I, I think we're just gonna we're gonna end. We're we're already ten minutes late, so I apologize. That's okay. Um, what I really appreciate is the depth of knowledge that uh, that Richard and Andrea have, and I really uh, definitely um, get their ear. Talk to them about about uh, asset management, about wealth. Um, these guys know what they're talking about. Um, I've spent hours in both of their offices talking about different aspects, and uh, they've never led me astray. Um, very trustworthy. Let me pray as we as we conclude today. Um, you'll notice that Andrea had five books. She's going to bring them back in a couple weeks to the forum. If you have questions for them, you can talk to them today, or you can just use your tablet write in a question. She's going to bring them back to the forum and then we're going to uh, be able to give them away and that's going to be wonderful. Let me pray for us as we, as we leave today. God, I thank you so much for your, for your wisdom that you give. God, I thank you so much that, that in a world that, that loves to spend and loves the now, your wisdom calls us to, to live within our means. Your wisdom calls us to, to not continue the cultural norm of just going into debt, but calls us to, to live within our means and trusting you for our provision. And God, I pray that you would that you would allow us to action that wisdom as a congregation as an in, and as individual families. I pray for financial uh, peace, as Dave Ramsey so aptly calls it. I pray for financial peace in relationships, that where there are families that are struggling financially, I pray that they would be able to have honest conversations where they get on the same team and they're able to work through things together. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.